Hi everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman and I'm going to be the host of this show. Um, I'm really excited. This is kind of a lifelong dream to, to host a, just a podcast or a show about Florida basketball. Maybe my biggest passion. Uh, you know, I know I know it's football school, but um, there's just, you know, a program that has defined excellence on the basketball court for the last couple decades. And I think that's continuing under Coach Mike White. And this seemed like a great year to, to begin uh, a show that kind of honors that culture and discusses all things uh, Florida basketball once a week. So um, we're going to dive right in tonight. I'm going to get my guest, Eric Fawcett, and, um, on the line, and, and we're going to go. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy it. Hey there. Eric now I think hey there hey how are you I'm doing well how are you I am uh I'm awesome I'm excited to to get started on this I, I you know um <coughs> I think it ends up being a perfect week to kind of have the first one yeah no kidding this is uh, awesome <laughs> were you uh I mean First, I guess just just give people an intro and you know tell them where they can find your work and and you know what kind of got you into Florida basketball. All right, well, I mean, uh, how uh, first what uh, where you can find me? I'm on Twitter at uh, at efossett seven. Um, I love talking basketball there. Um, and then what kind of got me into uh, into basketball into Florida basketball? Um, so yeah, I grew up in Canada. I still live in Canada, which is uh, obviously a bit crazy that I, I cover Florida basketball. But um, um, when I was like 12 years old, um, basketball wasn't really shown on TV in Canada, especially college basketball. Um, except uh, when I was like 12 years old, um, on Saturdays there was one uh, one network would show uh, would show SEC games. So I'm 12 years old. It's my first exposure to basketball, and I just loved it. I loved. Um, I just loved every part of it. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the game. I loved the intensity. And um, to me, that was basketball. I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch the NBA. I didn't watch. Um, didn't watch anything else. That to me was was all I knew of basketball. And uh, when when you're 12 years old and you have no geographic ties to a team, I just kind of found myself cheering for Florida. Um, the, the Gator logo at uh, at center. Um, the way that Billy. This is actually kind of funny. But uh, a couple of the stereotypes of Canadians are true. Where. Uh, uh, we're, we're pretty kind to each other. We don't yell. We're pretty reserved. And I couldn't, as a 12 year old kid, I couldn't believe how some coaches would, uh, would scream at some of their players and scream at the rest. But, uh, but Billy Donovan was different. So, uh, I don't know. There's something about it that I, I just I couldn't believe some of these coaches, but then there was Billy Donovan who was, uh, uh, he treated his players a lot differently and treated the refs a lot differently. And I, I like that. And, uh, I think that was, yeah, that was like 2005. So obviously, uh, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008 came along and uh, the championships came. And uh, I mean, I was I was hooked and I've uh, been a fan ever since. That's awesome. It's a good that's a good uh, that was a good time to become a Gator basketball fan. Right. <laughs> it really was. And uh, what, what's funny, too, is because, uh, like I said, like I, I only knew Florida basketball. I was uh, <laughs> I was completely ignorant to anything else. So um you know, I didn't know the SEC was a was a football conference. I didn't know that foot that Florida was a football school. 
um, all I knew was uh, all I knew was basketball. So um, to me, that was the biggest thing. And I, it's kind of funny because even some people nowadays will be like, oh, that must have been so cool um, watching the Tebow years back then, too. And I was like, well, like, to be honest, I, I, I didn't watch football back then because <laughs> football wasn't on TV. I, I didn't know who Tim Tebow was. I all I knew was Florida basketball. So um, which is just uh, pretty funny to some people that uh, uh, that that's kind of how it exists. And that's why to this day, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a basketball guy first. And uh, though I've grown to love Florida football, I'm, I'm a Florida basketball guy first. Yeah. No, and I am too, you know, and I, I'll, I'm sure I'll get into this with listeners and stuff. I mean, a lot of what, what happened with that was just, you know, part of, of what I was involved in when I was at the university of Florida and being with academic uh, support staff to the, to the program and, that sort of connection, but also, you know, it's just, I, I was born in Chapel Hill, so uh, it's kind of a familial thing. Like there's just a natural draw to, to college basketball in my family. So some of it was familial. And then I ended up going to Florida and, and, you know, right at the sort of some lean years in the Donovan revolution. I mean, they'd already played for a national title, but, but uh, they were having a series of, of, first weekend exits when I was in school and you know there were believe it or not it's crazy and I guess it's not that crazy when you get to know Gator fans but you know there were people that were like I don't know if Billy Donovan is the right guy to take us to the next <laughs> level and you know the normal nonsense and then and then uh they they win the two national championships so it's kind of been in my in my DNA too and, and I'm I'm like you like you know in a lot of ways in that sense because I played uh, I know you coach, coach. Um, I don't think I was in, I don't think I was that into the NBA until, I mean, now I am now, you know, I love the NBA, but that's a pretty recent development for me. Yeah. The, uh, I became an NBA fan too, for sure. And, uh, <laughs> exposure in Canada definitely helped that. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, my first love was really, uh, was really college basketball and, and the Gators. And that's, uh, that's still kind of my first love. <laughs> I hear you. So, I mean, let's talk about this week that, that just happened. And this is going to be uh, – Eric's going to join us as a special guest um, pretty frequently. We're going to have Blake Lavelle on the show, Kevin Brockway on the show in the in the next two weeks. So we've got some guests lined up that are going to kind of – Blake, I know, will talk a lot about how a football conference has become a basketball conference too. Uh, <laughs> but, but I want – this is – in terms of recruiting – this is one of the biggest weeks in the history of the program. It has to be. Oh, it, it, it absolutely is. And um, I wrote an article just um, right before uh, we got Scotty Lewis. Uh, I think I wrote it on, on Monday, uh, right after, or maybe it's Tuesday, but anyways, um, it was, it was pointing out the fact that after we got Trey Mann and after we got Omar Payne, um, if we got Scotty Lewis, um, just kind of where that would put this amongst Florida's all-time greatest classes. And um, if, I mean, if you look at purely recruiting rankings, not um, don't obviously you have to kind of take out factoring in um, what those players actually accomplished. But I mean, this is just a hair behind the best recruiting class Florida has ever seen. Um, this is uh, it's better than the, uh, the Horford, Joakim Noah and Corey Brew. It's better than that class. Um, it's, it's better than the, uh, 2014 team that got to the uh, the final four. Uh, this is just a, a hair a hair behind that class of uh, Calathis and and Parsons and um, so really, I mean, this is uh, 
it's not obviously unprecedented because Florida had, you know, just that one class that was just a little bit better. But I mean, this is, this is Florida's never really recruited at this level kind of consistently. A lot of people are saying, Oh, Mike White got, finally got us to what um, Billy Donovan was doing. And really um, Billy Donovan only did what coach White did. Or he only did it once. So uh, just kind of looking forward uh, uh, this very exciting times. Yeah, no, I, I was looking back and it looks like in 98, they had a, a class that, before they did basketball recruiting rankings, right. they probably would have been comparable with with Mike Miller and Udonis Haslam and Teddy Dupay. But I, I, it, I think, you know, certainly. But what's funny is the only class that on paper is better. You mentioned, and that came on the heels of a second national championship. So mm. that's where the program was when they were able to land that before. Um, so I guess the the question I have is, and and what I think is kind of interesting. Is, is what this says about Florida basketball as a brand. Um, but, you know, obviously this is, you know, these are things that kind of happen in recruiting. And, and Florida's been good at basketball as long as all these kids have been alive, really. So there has to be some draw in that respect. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think so. And one thing I, I do think people need to um, uh, remember a little bit is – uh, it's essentially three in-state prospects. I know that obviously Scotty Lewis, you know, plays in New Jersey, but his his family's in Florida, and uh, he he kind of grew up around that. So, um, and nothing, nothing, obviously nothing wrong with keeping your your best players in state. Um, but I think you know, like you were talking about, you know, getting a Mike Miller from out of state, and uh, uh, kind of getting to, like that. That's when I I really think that you're recruiting at an insanely high level when you can go pluck <laughs> um, pluck those guys, you know, from wherever. Um, no, and I mean, I don't want to take away from the class at all, but, uh, but yeah, like, I think Florida has some of the best in-state talent in the country. Florida produces amazing basketball talent. So, I mean, if, if, if that was the only state, um, they ever recruited, they'd still do really, really well. So, uh, um, but yeah, it, it definitely means a lot for, uh, to, to even keep these top players home. In terms of, of what it builds on, cause I think lost in this story of what, what the class will be next year with Lewis and Payne and, and man is, they just signed a really good class that's going to start. Well, that's practicing now, right? Oh yeah, it's funny how quickly that's going to be. <laughs> that's going to be <laughs> forgotten. These poor guys. Uh, that's yeah. I, I love the class this year. I mean, I even loved the class uh, two years ago. I mean, I think this is going to be three straight really good classes. Um, but uh, people love seeing five stars. They love seeing that. Uh, they love going to twenty four seven and seeing all five stars filled with gold. Uh, not four. Not th- <laughs> you know they they love seeing that. And um, yeah, even though I I love the classes we had before. Um, yeah, nothing gets people excited. Nothing gets guys like Jeff Goodman and Gary Parrish and all the national writers um, writing like uh, like getting yeah. a Scotty Lewis. So, uh, Rob, I saw Rob Dowster said that NBC Sports said uh, one thing that's kind of impressed him about the last two classes is the balance. And, you know, maybe talk to people about that because there's this I think there's I think a misperception that that Coach White doesn't hasn't recruited bigs or that they haven't. That there hasn't been, you know, some some talented big men uh, on the roster, and I think a lot of that's really injury related. Uh, because if you look at the recruiting classes, you know, it is it, there has been a good amount of balance, especially in the last two. Oh yeah, and I mean, obviously, you, you look at the fact that um, you know White inherited um, John Igbunu, and he inherited uh, Kavarius Hayes, and he inherited Keith Stone. Like he inherited like a, a pretty good front court, obviously. Egbunu, uh, his knees betrayed him and he, he couldn't keep playing. But 
Um, there's, there's a little bit of a reason why he wasn't just out there recruiting a ton of bigs. He had those guys that all had multiple years left um, when he came in. And uh, obviously he's, um, yeah, that, that wasn't a position of need at the time. So uh, yeah, getting, even getting Omar Payne is definitely a nice, uh, a <laughs> nice kind of answer to that. That thought he was just a, just a guard guy. Um, but uh, I, I, what I really like about the balance, you, you were talking about balance. Um, one thing that I thought the roster kind of lacked last season um, was versatility, especially on the wing. You know, you had guys like, um, like I love Chris Chioza, but he's, you know, he's a true point guard. And, and Kayvon Allen, he's not a guy that you move up and down the lineup. And um, we didn't have a lot of guys that could deal with um, big wings. And that's kind of the, a lot of teams now where, you know, you, that's why Florida State, I feel, blew the doors off us last year was because they just rolled out um, a huge, massive center and then four guys who were six foot six. And we right. instead rolled out a true point guard, a true shooting guard. We just didn't have, we don't have versatility. And now um, you look at this class with um, uh, we have this year with like, you know, a big point guard and Andrew Nemhart who can, you know, he'd be able to play the two if you need, and he can switch. And um, you have, you know, Noah Locke who can, he'll be able to check some point guards if needed. And obviously Keontae Johnson's going to be able to guard just about anyone. And then you look to the class next year, you have like Scotty Lewis is versatile. Omar Payne is versatile. Uh, Trey Mann's pretty long for a guard. And that's just what I really like um, when you're talking about balance is having guys that can, move up and down your lineup. And I think that'll bring a lot of balance that, uh, yeah, I don't think we've seen last few years. And I think that's, um, you know, yeah, just that's the example for me is um, I don't feel like Florida state's been very skilled necessarily the last few years, but they've always been really switchable and long. And I mean, Florida state's been winning the head to head matchup these last few years. Yeah, no, they have. And I, and, you know, and I, and I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, I think Leonard Hamilton doesn't get a lot of credit given you know, and, and I see this firsthand down here, and I hear it from from some of the AAU coaches that I I get the chance to work with, and you know, Florida State from a facility standpoint and from an institutional support standpoint is really pretty far behind Florida, but but they still you know Leonard recruits well, and and he knows what he's looking for, and I think you know we're finally going to see a Mike White team, whether it's this year or next year, that really plays. Uh, a little more similar to how he wants to. Um, and, and I think when you reference balance, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a, what we're seeing a lot in the SEC is that, you know, in college basketball, you can kind of get away with, with having a small two guard, right? But, like, when Mike White recruits a guy like a Trey Mann or a Michael Caru, I think that's for a specific purpose. Like, he wants those combo guards that, that are athletic and switchable and versatile on the outside. And then, um, you know, I, I got to get you to talk about Scotty Lewis a little bit, but Scotty's kind of, he's not a real like numbers guy, you know, like he fills the box score, but he's kind of guy that dominates games without really scoring. Right. And uh, Florida hasn't really had that in a while. He reminds me of Andre Iguodala a little bit. But, Great comparison. That's, that one's really good. Um, yeah. I mean, that that's just from what I've seen. It's kind of, I think that's what his game is a little bit like. Um, and, and I, you know, Iguodala, well, he had big scoring games, but, but I think you're really onto something with this idea that, that Florida's roster becomes not just more balanced, but more versatile. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, you see it obviously at the NBA game and I, I don't think everyone just needs to be, um, playing catch up. But one thing that I think that, uh, you need to be able to do is you need to be able to handle big scores on the wing. Those are the cream of the crop in basketball. Um, if you have those, uh, they're hard to defend. And Florida just didn't have a lot of answers. They, uh, I think that maybe the team thought DeAndre Ballard was going to be able to do that, but he probably couldn't stay on the floor enough. 
And um, yeah, when you're, when you're kind of position locked in so many areas where it's like, Oh, this guy is a, this guy's kind of a two guard and that's about it. Or this guy's a point guard. That's about it. And this is our center. We probably don't want him playing powerful. Like it, it just really limits what you do. And if you have a tight rotation, that's um, everyone ha- fits a role perfectly. That's awesome. But uh, you know, once, uh, once you get into some, uh, some matchups you're not expecting and some, um, tough middle of the SEC season. It's nice to have some guys that you can move up and down and, and try different lineups as as opposed to being like, oh no, these are um, these are only two lines. I think that also makes you very easy to prepare for when teams when you're one dimensional like that when with your players. And uh, yeah, anyways, I just I, I don't think that's going to be the case in the future with guys like Chase Johnson and Keontae Johnson and um, and obviously the guys we have coming in in 2019. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point, and I think you know another thing is. He, he got more versatile without – I don't think they're going to give up a ton offensively, um, even when Hudson and, and and Allen leave, just because, you know, Locke is such a good shooter. Man isn't necessarily a great jump shooter yet, but for everything I've seen, he's definitely a pure scorer. Uh, so they'll, they'll find ways to get buckets. I just don't think it's going to be this, uh, this small ball – you know, three point parade that people kind of fell in love with at uh, at the PK eighty, but but in reality, wasn't terribly difficult to defend, right? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if you actually look at the way that uh, that was kind of the thing that Mike White was known for when he got him from Louisiana Tech was he was kind of this offensive uh, run and gun. Uh, up tempo and to be honest that hasn't been the case at all at florida um the teams have not played fast um that's something that i've kind of talked about in my writing a lot of time um if you are a believer in ken palm if you even are a believer in your own eyes um florida is not has not played fast these last few years and um to be honest i actually don't think there's anything wrong with that i think playing fast is incredibly overrated i think it's a buzzword that people use to get recruits and to try to get people excited to watch your team but uh yeah, go look at the final four teams from the past, um, like, five, six, seven years. I did an article last year before the NCAA tournament. Um, there's not a lot of teams that play fast and are successful. Um, and Florida took care of the ball incredibly well last year, and I think, uh, I think that's great. I think taking care of the ball is more important than playing fast and turning it over. Um, but anyways, uh, what I was getting at is if you actually look at the way Florida's played, um, their defense has been way ahead of their offense um, in, in Mike White's era. And I yeah. think that's actually quite, quite impressive because they have not had – you know, when they had um, Devin Robinson and Justin Leon and a healthy John Igbunu and Casey Hill was an incredible defense. Like, yeah, you knew that team was going to defend, um, but he got last year's group into the top, uh, easily into the top 20 um, in defensive efficiency. And that's uh, that's pretty impressive when you're rolling out a, a 6'4 uh, power forward and Kulichov and, uh, you know, a Jalen <laughs> Hudson and uh, some other, you know, you, you were small, you weren't versatile, you weren't very switchy. And he got that team to defend at a really high level. And uh, I think that's really impressive. But uh, like you said, I think we're, uh, we're going to see that same um, defensive ability even a little bit better because we'll be a little more switchable, but also be better offensively. And uh, that's scary. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it's gonna. I, I just think Florida fans are gonna really enjoy seeing seeing uh, them play a little more of the way that that White probably wants to on both sides of the ball. But Florida, twenty fourth in in Kim Palm efficiency last year with, like you said, without without really having a center until the final four games of the season. Yeah, fourteenth <laughs> uh, um, the year before that. Now. You know, Devin Robinson was spectacular on that side of the ball as a junior, and and Casey Hill, maybe one of the most underrated defensive players in the history of the so, Yes, 
that team defended about the way they should, but they were 85th in offensive efficiency, <laughs> which, is, which is actually like okay. While, but, while you're while you're there, can you look at uh, what what pace was Florida? What was their adjusted tempo? Yeah, I was gonna say so they were th- <laughs> they were 306 pace to hit. Um, yeah, which you know. In case you can, they were a little faster last year. They finished two hundred eighty six. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and and I mean, I say that, but I don't actually, I don't actually mean that as an insult. I honestly think if you go look at the fastest teams in the country, um, well, a lot of them are going to be low majors for for one reason. But if you even look in the in the Power Five context, you're actually not going to see a lot of uh, very successful teams up there in tempo, like that UCLA team with Alonzo Ball a couple years ago. They were super fast. What happened to them in the NCAA tournament? They, uh, you know, they had they turned the ball over a ton, missed shots, and they were had no, they didn't know how to play any other way. And uh, uh, you people have talked about Villanova as being this, um, you know, pace and space, whatever. Um, they space, they don't pace. They pay, they play actually really <laughs> slow and a lot slower than people probably think. Um, but they get good shots. So I think take and um, yeah, I think Florida took care of the ball so well last season, and I think that taking care of the ball um, uh, is a lot more important than. Um, yeah. maybe catching a team off guard with a, with a transition layup. Obviously the team ran when they got a steal or um, when it was there, I'm not saying don't run ever, but I think that teams that are just like, Oh, we need to play faster, faster, faster. Um, honestly, just the, the recent history of college basketball does not suggest that that it makes for a successful um, team. Um, recent college basketball would suggest that you don't want to play super slow. You don't want to be Syracuse, um, but yeah, you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be super fast. Right. I mean, look, last year Villanova was 324th out of three <laughs> Like, that would shock – that's probably shocking a lot of people listening because not that, not that I think everyone thinks they play really fast, but I think that people think they play fast and space you out. And, um, yeah, they space you out, but they don't play fast. You don't have to, you don't have to do one to do the other. Yeah, I mean, you, can, you can play attractive offensive basketball and, and not go – Yes. And I think that's kind of what Villanova has found that formula. Another another school that I think does that really well, although they were really, they actually did go really fast last year and it was disastrous for them against Florida State in the NCAA tournament because they just got they just was uh, Gonzaga. Right. Um but but I looked I looked this up and last year Gonzaga was fifty sixth in tempo. Huh. That was the, that was the highest of any marquee team this decade. I'm I'm actually really surprised to hear that. Um, yeah, that's actually really interesting. I'm just actually shocked by that. But uh, <laughs> not again, not that I thought they played super slow. But I mean, if you were, I would have thought they'd be like right middle of the pack, one fifty, not in the fifties. But yeah, that's interesting. So and I, and I, I mentioned them. I, I think they have maybe the best returning set of talent. Uh, well, maybe Kansas, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but and I know Kentucky. I have Kentucky friends that I'm sure are going to listen and and raise all sorts of hell, and and that's fine. Like I just don't know how good your freshmen actually were, other than Gilgis Alexander. So uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that, and we'll get some questions in with that with Blake when we talk about the SEC. But I think, yeah, I mean that that's an interesting discussion because there's this idea that that White has this press and it wants to be frenetic, but. You know, even teams that press really effectively aren't necessarily super fast. I mean, West Virginia in the half court is not fast. I don't know if we want to model any anything we do offensively after West <laughs> Yeah, well. But, sorry, you can go on. But, you know, no, just it's, it's just – it's interesting how these narratives sort of develop, and sometimes they're not borne out by 
any of the metrics that that the basketball nerds like us look at. <laughs> right. Well, actually, one thing I really liked about Florida's defense, even though they didn't press, and I'm not a a big fan of of pressing at the at the highest level, but um, one thing I like is like they don't press. Um, but they're really uh, they really pressure on the perimeter in the half court, and I think that really speeds teams up in the half court, and yeah. um, it, it almost gives like yeah I don't like I don't care if you dribble the ball fifty six feet up the floor, not pressed, um, but yeah when you get there suddenly you 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 know Chris Chioza picks him right up picks him up right after center, um, he passes it to the wing and he's met him instantly by Tavon Allen and the team is really quick to the ball and uh, pressures that way and you've got Kavarius Hayes one of the best shot blockers in the country. Um, mopping things up if he does get by. I actually really like the way that they defend in the half courts. And uh, I would be pretty content to see them not really press uh, going forward. I, I kind of like the, uh, the half court uh, man defense that, uh, that white has been orchestrating. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. They, they talk, I, I did a, a coaching clinic that, that Tom Izzo came to. And one of the things that coach Izzo talked about was extending your defense to the, to the point where like, you want to start it well beyond the three-point line if you can. And there's risk with that, and obviously you have to have some athletes. But but the way that you can speed teams up by, by getting them to panic because they're not comfortable in the half-court set that they're in. It's harder to space the floor when there's pressure on the guard. Um, so I think Florida has done a really good job of it, and they've done it with small guards, which is really fascinating. Very much so. Um. And, and they won't have to do that this year as much with, with Nimhard. And, I mean, Jalen Hudson is not necessarily a small guard. He's not big. Right. But, um, you know, he was, he, was, he was certainly bought in defensively at the end of the season. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I still it, thought that Hudson is one of those, like, I thought he was an incredible one-possession one defender, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, in, like in the PK-80, his shot blocking was kind of the, the big story. But he had like an absurd block, too, against Gonzaga to, to help seal it, where I like he went to help over, and I was like, oh, he's got a layup. And he just rose up and swatted it away. And there was a couple times, too, and I know like you know Kentucky fans are not happy, but he had a big block there in, in the, at the end of the first game that you know could have been a foul call. But, you know, Hudson has been, you know, when, it's, when the game's on the line, He's got the physical tools to to really lock things down. I just don't think he's been giving, you know, 31 minutes of effort in a game. But uh, I, I do expect better. And, yeah, you mentioned his size. He's kind of one of those guys that's either, like, kind of undersized as a, as a small forward, but then, like, a good-sized shooting guard, like, where with great size. So uh, that, that probably matters a little bit, too. Yeah, I mean, who does he – he kind of – he defends better, but – he profiles a little bit like Jamal Crawford just because he can get so – he's such a microwave. Right. <laughs> but uh, but I don't think he has those sorts of handles, so I don't think it's – I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. He's one of those guys that's going to be really interesting to see at the next level because he kind of profiles like a seventh man. Right. Which is like a thing now in the NBA. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Uh, the instant offense. But, but he might defend a little better than somebody that's instant offense. Yeah, he's got all he's got all the tools. He's got he's got a he's got he's more explosive than Jamal Crawford. I mean, at least in you know the last decade where Jamal Crawford has been out here still. But yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'll, I'll think of a better a better comp uh, at some point this season. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in preseason form. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just wanted to, I guess, kind of in closing, because one of the the overviews of the show that I did at the beginning was just. Part of this this whole idea, this, the Florida Basketball Hour, was going to be, and is that, you know, 
we have all the we have this uh, message board over at Gator Country that I know people uh, there, and, and there's constant basketball conversation. Obviously, the SEC is improving as a conference, and I think maybe the most important thing that Coach White has done since being at Florida, and and he's won a lot of games, and I think uh, <laughs> Eric and I are going to push back against City. Any anti Mike White narratives, although <laughs> people are pretty pretty quiet right now. But Florida's culture is so good. Um, just just the way that I think that they approach uh, getting better, the way they approach practices, you know, the way they get, uh, and I I just think that's such a huge deal because that's something that. That I think, if you ask Billy Donovan, what what was he most proud of? It's the culture he built, and and White has done a really has had a really hard job in replacing the legend, and yet kind of embraced uh, that challenge. Yeah, I, I was on a podcast um, uh, another the other day, and they asked kind of just you know my thoughts coming in about what is how Mike White's time has gone so far, and. Uh, one thing I thought, if I just had to boil it down and was just like, hey, in his first three seasons, he took a team that uh, had just come off a losing year with Billy Donovan, and he got them to the NIT and, and, and won a game and then, uh, you know, got to a Elite Eight and then made a round of 32. And if you were to say his first three years kind of coming off uh, a losing a season that Billy Donovan had a losing team with, and you took that roster and your first kind of three years were, um, you know, uh, an NIT uh, elite eight and a round of 32 that's about as good as you could ask for and if you look at his recruiting classes every year has been better than the last and uh, I think that um, it's one thing to have a flash in the pan recruiting class or a flash in the pan elite eight um, but like you said they got the big apparel deal with uh, with Jordan brand they uh, they got into things like the PK80 and their, their scheduling at all the major events um, it seems like they're going to be in Madison Square Garden like every single year it seems now and uh, yeah. yeah it's just like every, everything you uh, you kind of look for out of a out of a good program and and even as this FBI thing swirls and we just see that you know it's not like like Florida fans don't have to worry about that and we can sleep is easy and um, you know I thought it was weird when Colin Sexton we were recruiting him and then suddenly he dropped us from his schools and he's you know he's looking pretty shady and I thought it was <laughs> I thought we were deep in there with Naz Little I thought we were for sure and when he named his final schools we were in it I thought that was shocking and then he you know unfortunately gets named in this FBI thing and I just uh the way that they've been I don't know if who notices that other than you know guys like you and me um but yeah that just is it was another indication that it's like yeah Florida really got the right guy and uh yeah it just seems like everything's clicking right now so um let, let me let me ask you this as we as we wrap up, you know I look at the I'm just looking I pulled the schedule up, um, and obviously like you said they're, they're going back to New York they're they're play the Jimmy V Classic they're they're going to play Battle of Atlantis uh, they're they're opening with Florida State I mean there aren't a lot of nights off for this basketball team is there a game I know what I know what it is for me and. You know, it's not Michigan State, which <laughs> kind of surprised myself when I say that. <laughs> but is there a game you're like really locked in and looking forward to coming up in the uh, in the fall? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I well, well, you said not Michigan State for you. That's interesting. Um, I I, uh, I I feel like the Florida State one I'm pretty excited for, but both because it represents um, the first game of the season and also because. Uh, uh, because um, 
uh, we need to get that win at some point. And I wonder if, if Florida State keeps crushing us head to head, if that ever will have a recruiting uh, um, kind of if that ever is going to hurt. Um, I'm kind of excited to start the, uh, the home and home with uh, with Butler. I think that's cool. But I, I actually can't. I know what my favorite is, what I'm most looking forward to. Um, I think that West Virginia is fairly overrated. Um, I also think that, you know, we've beaten them last time and there's kind of the story of Darius Nichols up going, going back there. And, uh, but anyways, I'm actually most excited for West Virginia because I think they're going to be a good team that is going to be ranked. And I think we're going to crush them. So uh, I'm going to say West Virginia is my, <laughs> my most excited game. What about you? I, I, I love it. And it's Madison square garden. Oh yeah, of course. Doesn't get much better than that. It's Butler for me. You know, it's not, uh, I guess the, the uh, ESPN doesn't even know what network they're putting it on yet. <laughs> There's a chance that it's uh it's either the two o'clock or the four o'clock game, and you know I don't know. I just get jacked up about seeing mid majors and and seeing those sorts of teams get to play big programs. But Butler is not even a mid major anymore. Like that's a big name basketball program that's been to multiple Final Fours. You know Michigan State's gonna be fun, but. The home and home with Butler is amazing, and and uh, if you want to know where Florida is before conference play, that's the last game too. So. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a fun one. I, I think it's always cool to uh, the fact that we're going to be touching a few, just kind of mo- like pretty much every other Power Five conference, and and especially the Big East because I feel like the Big East um, just style of play is a little bit different than than playing a Big Ten team or even a Big Twelve team. So uh, yeah. that'll be there too for sure. Yeah, it's kind of funny, like you said. Like I don't, I, like I don't consider, um, like I don't consider Butler to be a mid major. But then it's also like I, I look at like DePaul in the in the Big East as well, and I'm like, I kind of think DePaul's a mid major, even though they play, <laughs> even though they play in the same league as like Butler. But uh, so I don't know. It's it's uh, I, I, but yeah, Butler doesn't feel like a mid major to me. No, not at all. Well, Eric, thanks, uh, thanks for coming on tonight, and you know I'm looking forward to having you. Um, as a special guest throughout the year. And, and I think this is going to be a lot of fun and I hope people uh, enjoyed, you know, what we had to say, please give us some feedback in terms of, of Twitter, uh, his account or mine at NW Blackman, just because, you know, if we're rambling on about tempo for five minutes, <laughs> don't care, uh, at least let us know. And we'll try to not dwell on, you know, what Gonzaga's tempo was in 2014. Yeah, just a, a couple a couple guys who coach basketball and I love Ken Palm might be a, a little <laughs> bit much for uh, for some people. But yeah, please let us know what you think. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right. That's it for the first episode of the Gator Basketball Hour, Florida Basketball Hour. Neil Blackman, your host. Uh, join us next week. We have a bunch of guests lined up. Kevin Brockway, the uh, former, now former Florida beat writer for the Gainesville Sun. He's doing other things, but we're going to talk to him about the future of the program, the state of the program. Uh, Jake Winderman might join us. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So. Thanks for uh, tuning in the first time, and we hope that you will subscribe to the podcast and we'll get into the availability of that at the beginning of the next show. For now, so long, everybody.